This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Chapter 7 The Son's Model Righteousness Quote, Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God, and this has unavoidable implications for Christian ethics, for imitating the Christ portrayed in the Bible. End quote. The Bible was written over many years by many people and about many things, yet central to the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ. He is of paramount importance throughout. We know that he was, as the Word of God, active at the creation of the world. John chapter 13 and that he providentially upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 After Adam's fall into sin through disobedience to God's command, relief from the wrath and curse of God was promised in terms of one who, as the seed of the woman, would crush Satan. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 The entire Old Testament prepares for the coming of this promised Messiah, the prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 15 through 19 Priest, Psalm 110, verse 4, and King, Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, of God's own choosing. The New Testament Gospel tells us of his life and saving ministry, and Acts tells us of the work he continued to do through his church. The epistles are letters written from him through his chosen servants. For example, Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1, to his elect people who constitute his kingdom. The final prophetic book of the Bible is, quote, the revelation of Jesus Christ, end quote. His church now labors to make all nations his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and at the consummation of history, Christ will return again to judge all mankind, Acts chapter 17, verse 31. From beginning to end, the Bible speaks of Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. He is the key to God's special revelation and the one who should have preeminence in our lives. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 It is easy to understand why. Because of our sinful disobedience to God's commandments, Christ came to atone for our offenses and become our eternal Savior. As such, He deserves our undying devotion and gratitude. As the resurrected and ascended Son of God, Christ is Lord over all and deserves our obedience and service. Thus, the lifestyle and ethic of those who have been redeemed by Christ as Savior and Lord will naturally center or focus on Him. At many times in the history of the Church, Christian living has been understood most generally as the imitation of Christ. Because Christ is the central personage of the Bible, there is a sense in which biblical ethics can likewise be summarized as imitating Christ, striving to be like Him, taking His behavior as the model of Christian ethics. Indeed, to take upon oneself the name of Christian is to be a disciple or follower of Christ. Acts chapter 11 verse 26. Believers take their direction from the example and teaching of Christ. Accordingly, biblical ethics is the same as Christian ethics. Jesus and God's Law What specifically can be said about a Christ-like ethic of morality? If we wish to imitate the moral perfection of Christ, what will this entail? 
A short survey of biblical teaching discloses that God does not save his chosen people by lowering his moral standards. The very reason why those people need his saving mercy is because they have violated his moral standards. If such standards were expendable or arbitrary, then God could choose to ignore their transgression and save people by sheer fiat or decree of pardon. However, the law could not be thus ignored. To save his people, God sent his only begotten Son to die sacrificially in their place. In order to qualify as the Savior, Christ lived a life of perfect obedience to the commandments of God. In order to atone for the sins, Christ died in alienation from the Father to satisfy the law's demand for punishment. Consequently, in his life and death, Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God, and this has unavoidable implications for Christian ethics for imitating the Christ portrayed throughout the Bible. The scriptures regard the work of Christ as that of obedience. In defining the purpose of his messianic advent, Christ said, quote, I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me, end quote. John chapter 6 verse 38. The pivotal event in the accomplishment or redemption was Christ's laying down his life and taking it up again, his death and resurrection. In these things, Christ was obeying his Father's commandment. John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18. His work of atonement was performed in the capacity of a suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 through chapter 53 verse 12. As such, he was subjected to the law, Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, and justified us by his obedience, Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Obedience to the will and commandment of God was therefore crucial to the life and ministry of our Savior. As our great high priest, he was sacrificed to discharge the curse of the law against our sin, Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 through chapter 3 verse 1, and chapter 4 verse 14 through chapter 5 verse 10. As the prophet of the law, Christ rendered its proper interpretation and peeled away the distorting traditions of men. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 through 48 and chapter 15 verse 1 through 20. And because he obeyed the law perfectly and hated all lawlessness, Christ has been exalted as the anointed king. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. Therefore we see that Christ's saving work and his threefold office are determined by his positive relation to the law of God and the permanent expression of his holy will. As one could readily expect, since Christ is the exact representation of God's nature, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, and since the law is a transcript of the holiness of God, Christ embodied the law perfectly in his own person and behavior. Christ challenged his opponents with the stunning, virtually rhetorical question, which of you convicts me of sin, in John chapter 8 verse 46. Of course no one could, for Christ alone was in a position to declare, quote, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, end quote. John chapter 15 verse 10. Christ was tempted at every point with respect to obeying the commands of God, yet he remained sinless throughout. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Because he kept the law perfectly, Christ had no need to offer up sacrifice for his own sins. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 through 28. Instead, he offered himself up without spot to God, a lamb without blemish as the law required, in order to cleanse us of our sins, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. As the Old Testament had foretold, quote, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, end quote, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. And the Messiah could declare, quote, thy law is within my heart, end quote, Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. We read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that, quote, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law, end quote. Christ was neither lawless nor above the law. He submitted to its every requirement, saying, quote, It becomes us to fulfill all righteousness, end quote. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. He directed the healed to offer the gift commanded by Moses. Matthew chapter 8, verse 4. Kept the borders of his garments. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, and chapter 14, verse 36. Paid the temple tax. Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Attended to the purity of the temple. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17, and etc. He directed his followers to do those things which conformed to the law's demand. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He told the rich young ruler to keep the commandments. Matthew chapter 19, verse 17. He reinforced the Old Testament law by summarizing it into two love commandments. Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. Indicted the Pharisees for making God's commandments void through traditions of men. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 through 13. And insisted that even the most trite or insignificant matters of the law ought not to be left undone. Luke chapter 11, verse 12. Speaking of the moral teaching of Christ, Herman Ritterboss says in his book, The Coming of the Kingdom, quote, It is the ethics of obedience in the full sense of the word. If, therefore, the question is asked by what Jesus' commandments are regulated, the ultimate answer is only this, by God's will as it is revealed in his law. Jesus' ethical preaching does not have a deeper ground than the law as the revelation of God's will to Israel, the people of the covenant. Again and again, it is the law and only the law the meaning and purpose of which is also the meaning and purpose of Jesus' commandments, end quote. In the light of these things, we recall how Jesus severely warned his followers not even to begin to think that his coming had the effect of abrogating even the slightest letter of the law, teaching that even the least commandment had been annulled would eventuate in one's demotion in the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Throughout his life and teaching, as we have seen, Jesus upheld the law's demands in the most exacting degree. Moreover, Christ submitted to the law of God, even to the very point of suffering its prescribed penalty for sin. He died the death of a criminal. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. Taking upon himself the curse of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. And canceling thereby the handwriting which was against us because of the law. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. Quote, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Jehovah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. End quote. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 through 6. Sin cannot avoid the dreadful judgment of God. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. And therefore God does not save sinners without righteousness and peace kissing each other. Psalm 85, verses 9 and 10. He remains just while becoming the justifier of his people. Romans chapter 3 verse 26. Accordingly, the law's demands could not be arbitrarily pushed aside. Christ had to come and undergo the curse of the law in the place of his chosen people. He had to satisfy the justice of God. 
That is why it can be said that the death of Christ is the outstanding evidence that God's law cannot be ignored or abrogated. According to the law, there is no remission of sin apart from the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. Quote, Therefore it was necessary that Christ offer up himself in sacrifice for sin. End quote. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 23 through 26. The necessity of the law's continuing validity is substantiated by the saving death of Christ on our behalf. Imitating Christ. Christians should therefore be the last people to think or maintain that they are free from the righteous requirements of God's commandments. Those who have been saved were in need of that salvation precisely because God's law could not be ignored as they transgressed it. For them to be saved, it was necessary for Christ to live and die by all of the law's stipulations. Although our own obedience to the law is flawed and thus cannot be used as a way of justification before God, we are saved by the imputed obedience of the Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. Our justification is rooted in his obedience. Romans chapter 5 verses 17 through 19. By a righteousness which is alien to ourselves, the perfect righteousness of Christ, according to the law, we are made just in the sight of God. Quote, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin on our behalf, in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. End quote. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. It turns out then that Christ's advent and atoning work do not relax the validity of the law of God and its demand for righteousness. Rather, they accentuate it. Salvation does not cancel the law's demand, but simply the law's curse. Quote, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. End quote. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. He removed our guilt and the condemning aspect of the law toward us, but Christ did not revoke the law's original righteous demand and obligation. Salvation in the biblical sense presupposes the permanent validity of the law. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit indwelling all true believers in Jesus Christ makes them grow in likeness to Christ, quote, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, end quote. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 and verse 15, and Galatians chapter 4 verse 19. Christian ethics is a matter of imitating Christ, and for that reason it does not call us to flee from the law, but to honor its requirements. We are to have in ourselves the attitude which was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 and verse 8. We are to follow in his steps of righteous behavior. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. Showing forth righteousness because the Holy Spirit unites us to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 15 through 20. Therefore, the biblical ethic is the Christian ethic of following after the example of Christ's obedience to God's law. John expresses this point clearly, quote, Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. End quote. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. And as we have abundantly seen above, Christ walked according to the commandments of God. We cannot escape the conclusion that the Christian ethic is one of obedience to God's law, for Christ's perfect righteousness according to that law is our model for Christian living. From beginning to end, the Bible centers on Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, his life was lived in conformity to the law of God. And from beginning to end, the biblical ethic of imitating Christ calls us likewise to obey every command of God's word.
The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.